This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Richard Dace talks about religious freedom. Is Christianity under persecution in the world? In the United States? Well, let's find out. Father Rich is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Ken Billinger. And Father Richard Days is joining us. As always, it's always this is your slot. Apparently so. So, which works because you get a I get fed, yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you feed them, they will come. So <laughs> Exactly. Father Richard Days, our guest, we're going to talk about religious freedom. But before we do that, Father, would you uh, lead us in the prayer to open the hour? Certainly. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy <clears throat> Spirit, amen. amen. O God, our Creator, from your provident hand, we have received our right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You have called us as your people and given us the right and the duty to worship you, the only true God and your Son, Jesus Christ. Through the power and the working of your Holy Spirit, you call us to live out our faith in the midst of the world, bringing the light and the saving truth of the gospel to every corner of society. We ask you to bless us in our vigilance for the gift of religious liberty. Give us the strength of mind and heart to readily defend our freedoms when they are threatened. Give us courage in making our voices heard on behalf of the rights of your church and the freedom of conscience of all people of faith. Grant, we pray, O Heavenly Father, a clear and united voice to all your sons and daughters gathered in your church in this decisive hour in the history of our nation, so that with every trial withstood and every danger overcome, for the sake of our children, our grandchildren, and all who come after us, this great land will always be one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. amen. The Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, Father. We continue. Father Richard Days, we have we have kind of a, a bookends over before lunch and after lunch with a couple of veterans. Father Richard Days served our country for 28 years as a military veterinarian before making the decision to serve God as a priest, and he was ordained in 2010, served as pastor of St. Mary's Parish in Ellison, is currently the pastor of Sacred Heart Parish and School in Colby. Welcome in, Father Richard Days. And well, first good. of all, thank you for your service. Well, my I don't pleasure. know if I've ever said that, but I want to make sure I do that. So, well, we're going to talk today about religious freedom. This is something that's so important, and it's it's in this day and age. It's a. I think back as a kid, and never thought we'd have to be discussing this as being a real issue. But no. today we have to look at that. First of all, do we all have a right to religious freedom? Give us your thoughts on that. Well, kind of under uh, natural law, we do because uh, that was kind of the right. A, probably a need to express our religion or a need to express our beliefs is kind of inherent in just being a human being uh, or not to express any religious beliefs. Uh, so I think, yes, we do all have the right to religious freedom. I think it's under natural law. Now, there are some governments and there are some uh, societies that uh, repress that. And uh, but uh, under natural law and the interpretation most people have, yes, we would have the right to religious freedom. 
All right, and we're we're talking about religious freedom specifically this hour this afternoon, and we want to really um, dig a little bit deeper and, and, and look at how the United States is different than many other countries when it comes to religious freedom, because we do know there is a difference there, but maybe give us some insight on that, if you would. Well, it's primarily everybody is talking about the First Amendment, but actually... When the Constitution was written, there was one phrase in there about religion, and it was under Article 4, about the right to uh, hold office. And uh, most people are not aware. I wasn't aware of that. But in, under Article 4 of the Constitution, there is uh, that uh, you, uh, there will be no religious test in order for you to hold office in the United States. But the one that people are more concerned about, and this came about as part of our Bill of Rights, the first ten amendments, that the people demanded when they saw the Constitution, they demanded these rights because they had been under an oppressive government. So these things were very important to people. The First Amendment... Uh, reads, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or the press or the right of the people to peacefully assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So there are five things right there in that First Amendment most countries don't have in their constitution mm-hmm. or in their form of government. And these were uh, the people uh, uh, in the, when the government was founded, our founding fathers felt these were very important. Uh, the constitution was very well written, but they, the people still demanded these ten, uh, ten amendments. The first amendment was the, primarily the freedom of speech. But if you'll notice, religion is expressed in the writing of that amendment before freedom of uh, 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 speech, before freedom of press, even before the right to peaceably assemble. So they realized how important religion was. Whenever I took the kids on a bus trip or anything, for instance, uh, when we went to NCYC, uh, we uh, recite uh, a patriotic rosary. And uh, basically, it's there happen to be 50 Hail Marys, and by chance, there's 50 states. So we say a Hail Mary for the people and the souls in each one of those states. But also, at each, um, each mystery, there was a quote. The first quote is George Washington. The second quote uh, for the second mystery mm-hmm. is from John Adams. And it goes on through, and it's, <coughs> so it, each one of them kind of expressed not necessarily Christianity, but they express the need for religion to express to the uh, the great governor of the universe our gratitude and to for the free practice of our religion now a couple of them do mention christianity but it's mainly the freedom of religion whatever that religion may be a lot of the people came to our country for religious freedom but once they had their religious freedom, they were a little bit restrictive. For instance, the pilgrims. They were, they were escaping Holland, and then they had to leave uh, Great Britain to come to the Massachusetts Bay Colony. They established it there for religious freedom, but they were re- very restrictive. For instance, one of our uh, founding fathers, uh, Roger uh, Williams, was exiled from the Massachusetts Bay Colony, and he formed the colony of uh, Rhode Island because they didn't agree with his former religion. Maryland was established uh, by Lord Baltimore uh, for primarily for Catholics because they were being kicked out of everywhere, uh, anywhere that the English Great Britain ruled. And so he established it for that. And they had a rough period of time throughout, clear up into the uh, Revolutionary War. 
depending on who was in power. They would restrict it and uh, the Catholics from holding land or voting or anything, and then there would be a shift in the parliament, and they would be allowed to. So even though our country was pretty much a lot of it was established due to religious freedom or the desire for religious freedom, there really wasn't a lot of actual practice of religious freedom through the early days. And our founding fathers, when they wrote the Constitution, realized this. And so they wanted to keep government out of religion. In other words, they saw the problems that in Europe where this is a, the Anglican Church is in charge here in England, or the Roman Catholic Church is in charge in France, or the Lutherans are in charge in a predominantly part of what is now present-day Germany. And they saw the problems with government, a government-established religion, and a government-supported religion. So they wanted government to stay out of religion. So they would not establish or prohibit the free exercise of religion. So that was probably, probably the one thing that was really unique when our country was founded, and it's still somewhat very unique today, even though there has been several other countries have copied our parts or all of our Constitution, we're really about the only one that had those five rights in our First Amendment. We talked about how the United States was different than many other countries, and I think uh, sometimes people tend to get a little passive, but we have to understand why religious freedom is important and why we should care. Give your thoughts on that. Well, it's important because it's innate in, in people to express a form of religion. And, of course, many of us grew up in, uh, with uh, religious practices. For instance, we were, before I came in here, we were discussing going to Midnight Mass. A lot of people may not go to Mass any other time of the year, but they want to go to Midnight Mass because that's what we did when Grandpa and Grandma were still around. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of an innate part of our our people of being a human being is to have a, a connotation or a relationship with the universe, with our world that we grow up in, and a need to express to the Creator, whoever we deign that to be or whoever we believe that to be, sense of gratitude or a sense of, I need some help down here, you know. So you know, it's kind of innate in us to, to pray or want to pray. Mm -hmm. And different people do it different ways. And some of them aren't even aware that they are praying. George Patton uh, said in, uh, before his Christmas in 1944, gave out to the entire Third Army. It was a prayer on the back of his uh, well wishes for their Christmas. And about 200,000 troops read that. Now, some of them read it very devoutly as a, really a form of prayer that you would normally have in a church or a religious service. Others probably read through it and thought it was a bunch of bunk, but they all read it. So, and when a prayer is read, it, it goes up to heaven. So our Lord was ass assaulted by 230,000 prayers for favorable weather to fight the war, and he responded. So that's another story, and we'll get into that at another <laughs> time. Now, Father, we hear of Christian persecution in places like Iraq and China and other countries. Is persecution worldwide increasing? And, and uh, well, I guess we'll, you know, and if so, what are those indicators that, that show that? Well, I believe it is, but there is also the fact that we have better reporting. We have a better communication system. So a lot of these things can be reported a lot sooner and brought to the attention worldwide, whereas there might have been a lot of persecution in a country, say, during the 1850s, for instance, that nobody knew about until maybe years later. 
but I do believe that there is a lot of increase on this. For instance, they have the there's a lot of the Islamic radicals who are causing some of this, but also we still have the residual of communism that the uh, is probably prominent in in China, and it's not just. Uh, it's not just Christians that are being persecuted. In China, they were had intense in persecution of the Islam, and the Muslims uh, suffered greatly because of that in just recent times. So yes, I do think there's indications of this, and the reporting of different places around the world, I think are pretty good indications that it is on the increase. The other thing too is, um, as you hear about it more and more, people are maybe more inclined, for instance, if uh, Iran gets away with it, maybe China thinks they can persecute a little bit and dictate to the Vatican who their bishops are going to be. Uh, I think we're doing pretty good to tolerate having you Catholics here in China. So now we're going to de demand that we have a vote and say who the bishop is. And so I think by seeing the, the other countries succeed in their persecution may encourage others to have uh, more mm. persecution on their yeah. right role too. Which is a great point, and, and uh, I've been told that too as far as religious per persecution. It's because um, I always thought the early centuries of the church there was a lot of persecution, but they said today, I again heard that, I think one of, I think it was our pastor that said it. The 20th century was the worst persecution. of, of the, uh, There were more martyrs during the 20th century than any other time in the history of the church. Okay. So that, yeah, that's, uh, that's and which is really pretty amazing. We hear about the persecution, of course. Here on Catholic Radio, they're, we, they're here and there persecution against the little sisters of the poor. We, we yes. deal with it within our country right now, uh, or the poor baker. But you know, the poor baker that has to deal with uh, same-sex marriage situation, people wanting them to make the cake, for example. Are those rare cases, or is Christian persecution increasing also here in the United States? Well. I think those were designated cases to make a statement. In other words, the baker did not refuse to make them a cake. He refused to make them a wedding cake because of his religious belief against same-sex marriage. So, strictly speaking, he did not discriminate against those people as far as providing them a service and providing them a product. He did what the court case came down to was he wouldn't provide them a wedding cake. The Little Sisters of the Poor, all they wanted to do was not have to f provide abortion as part of their insurance to their employees. And this, uh, the, the former administration made this a very principal part. Most of the people in Congress disagreed with that because the Little Sisters of the Poor, you knew that they were doing good things, and that was their principle, that they were not going to provide abortions. So it was more of a statement that was being made. But by these statements being made, it encourages others in other parts. There was a uh, floral shop, I believe, in, uh, in Oregon, that the w woman, again, uh, doing to same-sex marriage, she said she she'd sold this gentleman roses for years. In fact, she told him that she would uh, told him where he could go to get what the flowers he wanted. But again, this was a principle to be stated, and they wanted to make a an example of this. So, a lot of this is not necessarily uh, religious discrimination, but it is a statement to be made by uh, certain individuals or certain groups 
or certain leanings in political political influence. But yes, because those are coming to the forefront, there is an increase in persecution for your faith. When I was growing up, we said a, a prayer. I, I was the only Catholic in a, a country school, and we took turns saying grace before lunch. We had, a, I think, um, five uh, Lutherans. We had two Methodists. We had a Latter-day Saint, and we had a Catholic. And we would take turns different days. We'd have the uh, blessing from the, uh, the, the Roman Catholic Catechism. Other days, the Lutherans would have theirs, and there was never anything said about it. But then... Madeleine O'Hare made an issue of this, and now there is no longer uh, prayer in school. Well, there is prayer in school, but there's just not public prayer in school. I'm sure before every exam, there's a lot of prayers going up. So, <laughs> Good point. Christian persecution is actually, sadly enough, preached in many areas. And let's talk about these couple areas in particular. But first of all, let's talk about the area of politics. Well, a lot of times, for instance, a lot of political leaders and um, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi, is a Roman Catholic. One of the uh, candidate, Democratic candidates for president, Joe Biden, is Catholic. And several of these have voted in the especially for abortion. And their party supports that. Now, I don't know how they can do that, but they separate their politics from their personal life, or they're supposed to. Uh, Ted Kennedy was another one who did that very same thing, or proclaimed that he was personally against abortion, but that he would not dictate, and he voted for consistently much of the chagrin of his older sister, Eunice Shriver. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that, in, in a, the, another term for that is moral relativism. Yes. <laughs> no and doubt. so in politics, they, in politics, a lot of things happen that shouldn't happen. But mm. so a lot of people who sh- are, would like to profess to be good Catholics kind of set that aside for the political correctness which I'm not sure those two terms go together, at least in my book, they don't go together very well. There is correct, and then there's political. And political correctness for the last 40 years hasn't been correct or very politically uh, righteous in in either view, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And it's just my opinion. But... um, so well, I, would, of, I would agree with your opinion, okay. so I'll throw that out there so you've got my support. Okay, well, thank you. <laughs> but this is, is something that we see in the politics every day. In fact, from the pulpit, we're not supposed to be uh, – I won't tell you how to vote, but I will tell you that there are five non-negotiables that you should consider when you are voting. One of them is your candidate or the party's uh, view on abortion their view on contraception, their view on embryonic uh, stem cells, their view on euthanasia, and the other one escapes me right at the moment. But there are five non-negotiables that I make a point during election year to make sure people are aware of. I'm not going to tell you how to vote because all of those candidates, they have some good uh, good ideas and they have some uh, very good things that I think they could do for the country. But there's five that we just can't negotiate with, and those are kind of bound up with the culture of death. And um, I just want people to be aware of that. So, All right, an excellent point. Father Richard Days, our guest, one of the areas we talk about Christian persecution in politics, which you just addressed. But we also see it, and it's, I feel like it's rampant on college campuses. 
Well, it definitely since, and I hate to tell you how many years it's been since, um, well, it wasn't that long ago. I was 10 years ago. I was at the seminary, and that's kind of a college campus, <laughs> but uh, we didn't have too much uh, discrimination against uh, your uh, uh, your freedom of your religion and your expression of your religion there. But back uh, in my, when I went for graduate school at the University of Minnesota, that was in the mid-'80s, there was still some at that point also. And even back in the uh, 70s when I was at Kansas State, there was a, a – Kansas State is a very conservative school. At least it was in the 70s, and I think it still is for the most part. But you have the other extreme. You have out Berkeley in California, or you have even Harvard. Uh, there's a lot of discrimination, politi- uh, religious discrimination there. For instance, you should be able to bring a speaker in to speak on any topic. But a lot of the groups raise up. They'll have demonstrations. They'll have disorder. And uh, so the administration caves in and says, okay, well, you can't have that speaker. And uh, it's gotten more and more to that point. There are those some are fighting back. There's focus groups which are primary, not really political, but they're more religious in helping our young people to express their religion. But there are some that are actually going out and being political about it and confronting the administration and say, this is what your, uh, your charter says that you will do, and you're not following it, and bringing that to the point, uh, even though, and unfortunately, a lot of our college professors are very set in their ways about, and they're not in for expression of the freedom of religion, at least not the way that I was taught and growing up, and also uh, when I was at, in the different colleges. It was still freedom of religion. And for the most part, a group, a religious group, could bring a speaker onto campus. But now there's a lot of campuses where they've canceled speeches. So. Um, and yeah, so we're definitely seeing it there. And then also public schools, we see that happening there, unfortunately. Yes. Uh, for instance, a lot of times, um, well, we're coming up into Christmas. It used to be every, even the public schools would have a little display for the nativity scene. Or they would have a Christmas play. And a lot of times there's been some very uh, uh, sharp criticism and restriction of that. And it's primarily because they receive their funds from the government. And therefore, they, the government will not restrict the expression of, or, but uh, they can ex- restrict somewhat how you put this out. You have free exercise, but you not necessarily are able to completely. For instance, when the Utah became a state, at that time, the Mormon church allowed polygamy. So what the Supreme Court says, you are free to believe whatever you want, but you're not free to express this or practice this part of polygamy. And there are several other different, there's been several other court cases very similar. We will not restrict what you believe, but we will restrict what you are able to express or practice. And uh, the polygamy is the one that comes to mind right off the hand. So uh, there's somewhat, and it's been more in recent years, restricting the kids and what they can do. Um, 
our kids there at uh, Sacred Heart, or even and even at, when I was at St. Mary's, were able to do a lot of things that uh, the, their counterparts down at the public school were not right. were unable to do. Yeah, and, you know, it's very interesting because out walking once in a while, we're, we're out walking and, and uh, we'll go by some of the public schools where we live in Overland Park. And, for example, it's not Christmas, uh, Christmas uh, break, it's winter break. Uh, it's not... Um, um, a Christmas um, concert. It's the winter concert. So everything is, they've taken basically Christ out of everything. And that, you know, I, it's interesting because we see where the schools are today and all of the things happening, school shootings and things like that. And, and I, you know, we I think it's pretty easy to see why those things are happening when you take God out of school. And I think back to the day, my high school days, where you know, again, I grew up in Victoria, so you're talking a small town, country, people living in right. the country come into town. But in the pickups would be gun racks, and there'd be guns in the pickups, and we never had any issue like that. Well, when I was growing up the same way out in western Kansas, Canterbury and Goodland, you could park your pickup on Main Street, a shotgun and a high-powered rifle in the back glass, the windows rolled down, the keys in the ignition, and nobody touched it. And right. nobody, you didn't worry about it either. Right. Yeah, and then that's an excellent point. And so we look at that, and obviously we know that the old the, the argument about you know guns, and obviously we, we were exposed to that all the time, had guns in the vehicles. There was never never an issue at all and uh, with, with school shootings but, um, uh, and other things that go on around the country. So. But the other thing, too, about in those days, we were taught to respect life. And now I don't think that's being taught in the, in the home or in the school or in society. For instance, when we're talking about the, the First Amendment is the one on the uh, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom to right to assemble, freedom to have the government uh, to bring the government's attention some of your grievances, freedom of press. The Second Amendment is the right to bear arms. And we go on down through. All of these things were very important to our country founders. And these are still in the Constitution. And all of our political uh, leaders, all of our elected uh, representatives, swear an oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. Not, I'll protect the, the First Amendment and the Tenth but, Amendment, right. but not the Second. second they, yeah. There is no, it's you protect the, the Constitution. Yeah. Now, you have a right to try and vote or to have some changes in it, but when you take that oath, at least the oath I took was the very same one when I was a commissioned an officer, I took it very seriously. It was to protect it from all enemies, foreign or domestic. And um, I'm not sure some of, for the where their actions, I'm not sure some of our elected officials realize what they're swearing right, to. Exactly. We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. Whether you're listening via radio, internet, smartphone app, or on Amazon Echo, please know we'll be right back with more from Father Richard Days talking about religious freedom. We're back on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. Father Richard Days. Religious Freedom. Can 
Ken Billinger conducts the interview. Father Richard Days is our guest. He is the pastor of Sacred Heart Parish and School in Colby. He was recently, of course, the pastor of St. Mary's Church in Ellis. And we're talking about religious freedom today. Father, what would would our country look like? Which is this is kind of a scary thought to me, but what would our country look like if the right to religious freedom was taken away? Before I address that, I'd like to go back to that first one about public schools and uh, college campuses. There was a football player not too long ago by the name of Tim Tebow, who was a pretty good, darn good quarterback and a pretty good player. But yet because he freely expressed his religion, he was very much discriminated against. In fact, the NFL pretty much didn't want to touch him because of the controversy his re- expression of his religion was uh, playing. So that is another example of how we've had discrimination that follows along. Mm. Uh, one of my classmates from the seminary, Father Paul Hoffman, his first two assignments were to be the chaplain at uh, Catholic schools. And so Paul was a pretty good-sized guy, and he had played football in high school. I don't know if he did in college or not, but definitely in high school. And so he was very well accepted by the players. And so they would have their prayer before Catholic school. They would have their prayer before the game. And a lot of times right after the game on the field, they would invite the other team to come in and have a prayer as well. And I believe some of those were actually public schools. The players and the coaches came over Mm -hmm. and participated in a prayer afterwards. Again, it was initiated by the Catholic school, by the Catholic priest, but the folks felt free to, uh, to participate. One other thing that I, and I should have brought this up earlier, we have it in our Constitution, the First Amendment of the Constitution. But the United Nations also had the Universal Declaration of Human Rights was adopted in December 10, 1948, that defines freedom of religion and belief. Everyone has the right to freedom of thought, conscience, and religion. This right includes the freedom to change his religion or belief and freedom, either alone or in community with others and in public or private, to manifest his religion or belief in teaching, practice, worship, and observance. That's from the United Nations. Now, all the members of the United Nations have signed off on that, but some of them have a little bit of reference about it. For instance, the Muslim countries, you cannot change your religion. In fact, that uh, almost a capital offense if you change your religion. There's others that also have different things in, in their uh, different things against it. The Jehovah Witness, for instance, they restrict some of the medical care that are given to their children because they believe is a controversy between the religious freedom and the state's need for the health of its citizens. But Article 18 is the principle of uh, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, affirming the right to change one's religion, implying even so if one's new religion may be unpopular or disturbing to the majority of society. So, and the Seventh-day Adventists, for instance, that was a court that uh, went because um, some countries went from a five-day work week to a six-day work week and insisted that it was not Saturday that they got off, but Sunday. So there are some controversies about this, but it's not just our country. The entire United Nations, this is a uh, Declaration of Human Rights that was deployed there. Now that I've taken you clear back to Ireland, let's go back to the question that no, you asked okay. me. that's okay. That's okay. That was good, good what stuff What would our country look like if the right was taken away? 
I don't think we would recognize it. I really don't uh, if it was completely taken away. In spite of the fact that in popular press, in the media, and everything, we are a very secular society. But yet you go into the, especially even the large cities, there are still many churches, there's many synagogues, there's many temples and mosques that are frequented by a vast majority, I would say a vast majority of our population. So if you took away religious freedom, you would take all of that away. And I can point out to countries where that happened, in Mexico in the 1920s with the Christos Reyes. The, uh, in fact, in uh, communist countries of uh, the Soviet Union, of China, all of those places, there was great uh, uh, battles being fought and people uh, uh, imprisoned and martyred because of their faith. Not necessarily Christian, just Christians, but all the, uh, religious orders were. So I think we would have a very different society. We would have a very different, it would be more restrictive. And um, I had the opportunity because of my assignment to visit Romania during the days of the Iron Curtain. And the people were very repressed. One of my uh, troops that was there, we were inspecting uh, meat to be, uh, we're selling to the U.S. forces. He had fought in Vietnam. He said, this is more depressing when you see communism than even when he was in Vietnam where the uh, Vietnamese communists were oppressing the people. He said it was they're seeing it a whole society repressed like the uh, uh, Romanians were. And I think that would happen in our country if mm. we took away religious freedom. Yeah. Uh, and again, in the Constitution, in our First Amendment, religious freedom is mentioned before freedom of speech, freedom of press, or any of the others. Which I find very interesting, and I know that it was all listed together, but I never paid attention to that order. Obviously, the founding fathers were thinking about the, you know, if you put it in order of importance, they knew which one uh, should be there. Rather interesting uh, take on that. How can Christians deal with persecution when they are harassed? So, for example, if we, we have to deal with harassment because of our religious beliefs, how do we handle those things? Well, first of all, you need to know your faith. Um, and uh, we've kind of, we haven't done a good job of catechizing our people, probably for the last two generations. When we have our, our uh, confirmation classes, I insist on interviewing all the, all the kids because I tell a, a bishop they're ready for to be confirmed. Right. So I make up a sheet of questions and I give it to them. I give them the references where they can find the answers a whole bit. And then I come in. First of all, it's fairly easy. The first few questions are, well, who's your sponsor and why did you pick them? Uh, what saint's name and why did you pick that saint? And can you tell me something about the saint? But then we go into some things like the uh, corporal works of mercy, the uh, spiritual works of mercy. What's a mortal sin and a venial sin? Some of it is very basic, down to your basic facts of your faith. And a lot of the kids didn't know. Well, one year, kids were a little rowdy, so our DRE insisted one one or both parents come in with them. And so the poor kid would give me this deer-in-the-headlight stare, and I'd look over at mom or dad, and they had no clue what I was talking about either. So we need to get know our faith in order to defend it. And... I can't remember which one of the speakers that's on Lighthouse that um, was challenged about his faith when he was a senior in high school, and he didn't know. 
and it bothered him so much that he became aware of his faith and obviously now he's publishing CDs for uh, mm-hmm. Lighthouse. Mm-hmm. So we need to know our faith, but we also need to realize, especially in our country when you're talking religion or politics, a lot of times it's not a logical, it's not a, sometimes it's not even a civilized discussion. It's, uh, so you have to be prepared that you will not be met with uh, halfway when you're challenged with things. But if you can give a calm and a logical answer, uh, they don't have to agree with it, but at least you presented it. And then if, they are, if they're open to it, do a little bit of follow-up and try, because our Lord told us to go out and spread the good news, and then we, would get to, we were to baptize. So spreading the good news might be, and that's one of the spiritual works of mercy, is to correct the ign- or instruct the ignorant and admonish the sinner. So part of this, but you need to be very calm. You can't get excited about it, and if you are, you need to excuse yourself because you're not doing your faith any good. You're not doing yourself any good for that matter. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times realize this may not be. It's kind of like on college campuses. A lot of times they're yelling different things. Sometimes I don't even know if the kids are aware of what they're yelling right. or what it truly means. Yeah. So, But I think the very first thing to do is get to know your faith. And you can study the apologetics. But just know the basics about it, because a lot of things that people are yelling at you are, aren't true. So if you can correct them, say, you have a valid point, but uh, you're not quite correct in what you're saying there. And, then let, and you may not get a chance to correct them, but at least you've offered to. Sure. Father Rich, how can we become more aware of religious freedom issues? I know we there's things sometimes we like to bury our heads in the sand because it's like it seems like every all the news is bad news. But what can we do to be, become aware of that and, and make sure that we uh, you know know what's going on in the world? Well, again, becoming more aware of it as I would say, read your read the register um, or read the National Catholic Register. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was uh, I went to school at, uh, and it's now St. John the 23rd National Seminary, and so that was under the Archdiocese of Boston. So I took their paper, and I still get it, the pilot. So I get a little different view from just what is in the register. A lot of it is very similar, and uh, but it's an archdiocese, and we have a cardinal. uh, There's a cardinal there, so they get a little more information directly than Mm -hmm. what we probably don't need, and they probably need it there more than we need it out here. We have more rural issues. In fact, if I can put in plug in, but I'll do that afterwards for the uh, uh, Rural uh, Life uh, Commission. But I would say be aware of it. So read your read the register, read the Catholic Digest, and then there are several other books and several other companies. Ignatius Press. Um, just be aware of the issues, and and when something comes on the radio, not necessarily take it as uh, the gospel because sometimes it's not. And so just be aware of it and uh, be aware that there's probably two sides to every coin. And what the popular press puts out is not probably the best side, and sometimes it's not even the true side. So I would be aware of that. Um, Take everything with a grain of salt and have your salt shaker there whenever the radio or whenever the TV is on and uh, 
used liberally. All right. <laughs> there you go. You had mentioned something, because we have a few minutes left yet, Father, about the Rural Life Commission. I want to make right. a plug there. Well, basically, uh, the Rural Life, uh, we are one, a very unique uh, diocese. Uh, we're the only one of the four in the state of Kansas that has a Rural Life Commission. We'd like to be a little more active in some things, but the two things that we do, we I think we do very well. We uh, St. Ignatius uh, Day, which is May 15th, we uh, the bishop usually says Mass, and we have it in a, a parish where we have a Mass for uh, St. Ignatius Day, and then we also go out and bless the fields and the flocks and usually take a tour of some agricultural industry that's in that area. A few years ago, we toured McCarthy Dairies up uh, outside of Rexford. And um, so there's different things that we do at different times. The other thing is the uh, Rural Life Day, which is usually the second Sunday in August. And this is where we uh, award the Century Farm Awards for Monsignor John George Weber, who is very active in the national Catholic rural life. So if, you, if your family has owned or worked on a farm for over 100 years, you're eligible. And there's basically just a few things. You write up the order of uh, succession that has taken place in your family, and then your family story. And some of those stories are magnificent about how faith played a big role. Let's face it, some of these folks, if they've been there 100 years, they went through a depression. They went through World War One, World War Two, Korea. And all of these, so a lot of their sons went and fought for the country, plus the fact when the war is on, a lot of times the emphasis is shifted from agriculture or there is an increase in production needed by agriculture. So there's stress on the, and plus in Kansas, we got tornadoes, we have floods, we have wildfires, we have a lot of things. There was a religious sister at one of them two years ago when she had it here at St. Joe's in, in, um, in Hayes was telling about that they got hailed out, and a few months later they had a fire that just took the rest of the place. She said, you know, what do you do? Well, we started over. Mm -hmm. And that's where the faith and the, and the dedication comes in. Sounds very good. So a lot of, lot of things going on with the Rural Life Commission, and, and we appreciate all, all your efforts and all the things that you're involved in. And, of course, always great to have you come in and, and talk with us. Um, it's always uh, good information that you share with us, and we appreciate that very much. Father Richard Day is our guest. Father, would you, would you give us your blessing before Certainly. you leave? Certainly. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to look favorably upon our efforts to make people aware of our faith, of our religious freedom, and the need for our religious freedom, and the blessings, the many blessings that you have bestowed on our country and especially on our diocese. And so we offer our blessing in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. amen. Father, thank you so much. My Always. pleasure. Thank you for listening to Divine Mercy Radio. Whether you're listening via radio, internet, smartphone app, or Amazon Echo, we appreciate you tuning in to this week's Double-Edged Sword, Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture. If you would like to comment on today's show or have an idea for a future show, please go to dvmercy.com and click on the Double-Edged Sword icon. And folks, Divine Mercy Radio is needing to raise funding to purchase equipment for a radio station in Salina. If you can help with this project, please go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate. For a $250 donation, you will receive a stylish Morning Glory mug. 
You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 88.1 KBDM Hayes, 88.1 KRTT Great Bend, and very soon 101.7 KJDM Salina. If today you hear his voice, pardon not your hearts. (laughs) 